Now don't you fall asleep on me Hello and welcome to Political Brothers with your hosts, Chauncey and Avery. Avery, since the last time we spoke, it has been freezing, at least for us in the Northeast. Um, how are you doing over there? Uh, yeah, it's, it's really cold here too. Uh, earlier this week, it dropped into like the like 20s. And now it, I think there's like six inches of snow out. I had a walk out uh, earlier today. It's, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty snowy. Oh, almost definitely, especially uh, with uh, in good old uh, New York. Uh, we're about to get a nice blizzard, they're saying, but hopefully it just blows over or just stays in Jersey. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, so today, folks, we have a very special episode of Political Brothers simply because we have our first guest. Um, he is a human rights and animal rights activist, creator of Voice for Change. Uh, a board member of Voters for Animal Rights and also an author to the following books, Kayla the Vegan and Liberation Summer. He's my good friend, Stuart Mitchell, a.k.a. the Vigilante Vegan. How are you today, sir? Good. How are you, man? Thanks for having me on. Uh, it, we are doing amazing and it's our pleasure. Trust me. Uh, First uh, first guest, and uh, we are excited. I know Avery here, as a fellow vegan, is excited to have uh, a few uh, veganesque, I think that's the word, uh, yes. questions towards veganism. We're just making up words here, folks. <laughs> so Avery, take it away. Yeah, sure. So uh, yeah, so as Chauncey said, I'm vegan, and I've been vegan for about uh, four years now. Um, and I know that everybody has kind of their different reasons for becoming vegan. And you've certainly like, I think, taken it uh, to the activist level, right? Um, which I think is very admirable, very cool stuff. And so I wanna ask you some questions about that. But I guess first, I just wanted, I was just curious about uh, what, what kind of brought you into the vegan lifestyle and uh, what, uh, like, what's your philosophy behind, uh, that kind of drives you to, 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 towards veganism and continuing to do it? Well, I go by the textbook definition of what a vegan is. It's, it's a person that, by all accounts, tries to refrain from animal, animal abuse as much as they can in their personal life and abroad. Um, what brought me to veganism was working in food service and, and realizing that we had like a multitude of, of animal products just at our disposal at just any time of the day. And I always wondered, where, where do we get so many chickens from? Because in my mind, this is going back to like 1998, 1999. In my mind, um, I'm thinking a farm is a place where there's like a dozen or so chickens, open air, green grass, blue sky. Um, I didn't really take into account that we, we eat and consume so much meat and where it came from. Like, it's just a lot of things in life we, we take for granted without really thinking about it. So... Uh, we had we had a job every night. We had to season ten boxes of chicken. It was fourteen birds per case, so that's one hundred forty chickens every night. And my mind just started like wondering where do we get all of the, where do we get access to this all the time? Mm -hmm. Like where's it where is this all coming from? 
And it's not just us, it's other supermarkets, it's other restaurants, it's other cities, it's other states, it's other countries. Like where are all of these animals coming from? I had no idea that factory farms existed. Uh, it wasn't until years later, I came across a factory farm uh, video. Like uh, Peter had, uh, they used to send people undercover to work in factory farms and they would document this footage. So I saw these videos and I was terrified. Like, I can't believe like this is what we contribute to. And then come to find out later that man manipulates these poor animals to reproduce faster than they normally would to produce eggs and milk faster than they normally would. And somewhere along the lines, I made the connection that I didn't want to contribute to that anymore. And I just decided to go vegan. And uh, somewhere along my journey, I realized that it's not enough to just not eat animals. We also have to advocate for them because if we don't, if we stay silent on these, on these situations, on things like this, they continue to per perpetuate themselves and people mm -hmm. will continue to uh, con continue to, eat meat and dairy without a disregard for uh, where it comes from. And I said, you know what? I have to say something about this. I have to speak on this issue. And I became an activist. I became an animal rights activist. Yeah, uh, thank you for sharing that. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, so I think, uh, I think it's always like a staged process where you kind of educate people or as people learn more kind of what you described, uh, maybe they, they start leaning towards veganism. Um, and then at the, I think the, the goal is always to get people as active as possible in like animal uh, right movements. Um, but I, I guess for me and my personal experience, I wanted to ask you about this as well. There's always this, um, I guess, difficulty in convincing people I feel like there's some kind of uh, empathy gap almost between how people see certain animals versus how they see like, you know, a, a person or a dog or a cat, like animals they're, they're comfortable with. And I was curious, like, how do you, do, like, do you run into similar problems with that when you're trying to convince people or educate people or in through your activism? Um, or, uh, and, and if you do, like, how do you try to uh, convince people? All the time. Uh, I see it all the time and it's, it's social condition and it's what we're taught to believe that certain animals exist for certain reasons. And when you've been indoctrinated with that belief and you don't question it, uh, when you go into your adult years or like your young adult years and people challenge you on your beliefs, you're not ready to accept what they're telling you because for so long you believe that animals exist for the purpose of eating them or the purpose of wearing them or a form of entertainment. So I, I mean, it's, it's difficult, but I try to help people make that connection by explaining to them that we're all sentient life. Like we, we really, we're not born with a purpose. Animals aren't born with a purpose until we give it to them. And I mean, it's, it's really not up to me to make that connection for any one individual. They have to make that for themselves, but they first have to internalize the idea that animals are sentient beings. They have the ability to feel pain. They have the ability to be happy and, and show other emotions. And we rob them of that when we give them jobs, when we give them mm, yeah. uh, uh, our own selfish purpose. Uh, you take a horse, for instance, uh, I, and that this is an argument even amongst other vegans where they think that it's um, it's okay to ride horses because it makes the horses happy. And I, and I have to explain to them, it, it only makes the horse happy because you've broken their spirit enough to make them believe that this is what they, their purpose is. 
they can't they can't convey to you verbally and tell you that I want you to ride my back. But if you break an animal's spirit to where they lose that fight within themselves, they will submit to your will. And this is what we do to animals to the point that genetically they they turn, they alter to what we want from them. It was the same way the slave master used to break the slave's will during slavery to mm -hmm. the point where they're, they're, when, they bear, when the slave ba bears children, they are already conditioned to submit to their master's will. It's no different. But it, I mean, trying to explain this to people is difficult, but I mean, it, that doesn't deter me. I keep at it because I feel that animals need that advocacy. They need somebody to speak up for them. And again, it goes back to me believing that it's not just enough for me personally to stop eating animals and contributing to animal cruelty. Uh, I have to try to get other people to see them in that light as well. I mean, it's a hard task. It's like any other, mm -hmm. any other fight for liberation or um, freedom or equality. It, it doesn't happen overnight. I don't expect people to go vegan and, and fight for animal liberation overnight. But in my, in my lifetime, I'm willing to do everything that I can within my power. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, truth to power. Um, I think, well, well oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Uh, well, I do want to say that, um, at least from, you know, my perspective, at least it seems to be a more momentum as, um, you know, the nation goes mainstream with play more plant-based alternatives, you know, especially with, uh, you know, uh, Beyond Meat, uh, etc. And um, at least, you know, there's some strides. Obviously, Stu, um, there's a lot of work still to be done. Uh, and I do know i believe one of the things that uh i see you know on your instagram a lot is your fight to ban fur in new york city and i was wondering if you could tell us uh and our viewers as well more about that definitely um but before i get into that uh when you're talking about like the advancement of all of these uh like mock meats and and different um like milks and beyond meat and things like that that's great uh but that that's consumer-driven uh, uh, capitalist idea of what veganism is. It doesn't necessarily liberate animals. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily help animals. It, if anything, it just helps these corporations that profit off of the plant-based market. And I tell people all the time, we can't eat our way to animal liberation. We have to actually fight for systemic change on their behalf, because that's the only way we're gonna win. And that brings me to the fur ban. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, right now, here in New York City, I'm a board member for Voters for Animal Rights. And what we do is we try to make lawmakers accountable for uh, uh, bills being passed. And one of, the, one of the bills being passed, one of the pieces of legislation that we're looking at right now is the ban on the sale of fur. Uh, in New York City. So we figured that if we could ban the sale of fur here, uh, like so many cities in California has already done, other cities will follow suit. And it shouldn't be that hard of a battle because there's so many um, retailers and companies that have already taken fur out of their inventory and replaced it with faux fur uh, alternatives. So, but it is a hard fight because the fur, the fur industry has tons of money 
um, there's a ton of resistance and we're having a, a hard time getting this piece of legislation passed. The thing that held that, that bill back from getting passed was they, they, use, they use race. Like the, the, the furriers, like the fur industry, they use race as a reason why uh, the animal rights activists were trying to ban the sale of fur. And they, they said, like, oh, it has, they're, they're trying to take black people's culture away from them and black people like the way of fur. Like they, they got that dirty with it. Really? Yeah, man. That's gross. Yeah. But uh, you can look that up. That's an actual fact. Like that was a big thing. They actually, uh, they got a, a busload of uh, like church going people from Harlem to come down to, to city hall that day to protest, to counter protest the, the ban, the ban on fur. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. It, it, it just shows you how low some people will go and, and they're willing to throw any, any group of people under the bus just to remain in power. And unfortunately they use uh, people of color, black people. And, and that was the reason why a lot of city council did not want to touch that bill because they did not want the stigma of racism attached to their, their good names. So, you know, and a lot of these people are looking to run for like mayor at some point in their career and, and other political offices. And I don't think they wanted that traced back to their, their history. Like, oh, well, he, he stood on this side of the fur bill and the fur bill was racist. So, yeah, yeah. It, got, it got pretty ugly. I, I had to do a whole op-ed piece about it with the, with the Gotham Gazette, just kind of like countering what they were saying. It was, it was ridiculous. Wow. But um, if you look at what happens on fur farms, how fur is extracted, where it's coming from, how inhumane and cruel these animals are treated. You have to ask yourself, why would anybody want to contribute to this? Why would anybody want to wear a fur coat knowing where, where it comes from? And, and I think that once people see the videos and become educated on, 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 the, on the issue, they would change their mind or their perception. Most people would, some people are heartless. They, they know what happens to animals, they just don't care. Um, so I think that the next best thing is just to outlaw the sale of fur so that it's not available, so that it's not accessible. If you, want a, if you want a fur coat, go to New Jersey, fine. You just can't get it here. We're setting an example here in New York that this is unacceptable. We, we won't stand for it. And it's, it's just wrong on, on all fronts, especially for the animals. Well, and it's very important, especially that we do start here in New York, because I believe uh, from one of your um, uh, speeches that you gave, you know, New York is the um, one of the, uh, the fashion, fashion capitals of the world. Yeah. yeah. And so we can ban it here. It could be banned anywhere. And uh, Avery and I uh, do applaud you on your efforts. And we do hope to see a fur ban because Avery and I are um, animal lovers. And, um, you know, from the videos that we've seen uh, about what happens to the uh, animals in the fur trade from minxes to foxes to even um, coyotes, it's uh, atrocious. Um, and uh, I cannot wait to see that industry die out. Um, Avery, uh, did you have any more questions? Yeah, uh, about vegan? yeah. So first off, I just wanted to say, like, yeah, right on. I, 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 there's a lot of things that you're saying that I really agree with. Um, and I think it's not mentioned enough that the that while it's good, of course, like you said, to to cut your intake of of animal products in your diet, um, and maybe substitute them with Beyond Meat or whatever. That actually doesn't, that capitalist approach doesn't really get you anywhere. And I think it's heavily supported by the data, which suggests, unfortunately, the majority 
of people who buy those products, uh, at least from one consumer report I saw last year, also eat an equal amount of, of uh, dairy and meat. They just supplement it into their diet. So they're not, it's not really doing very much. And that companies, their incentive is to make profit. If they think it's, a, if it's fashionable at the time to produce these products, they're going to do so, but they themselves don't necessarily have the goal of uh, you know, uh, animal rights activism. It's just for their, you know, for their self-driven uh, profit. So yeah, and I, I guess um, if, uh, at least with regards to, to veganism, I don't have any additional questions except in terms of the activism that you just mentioned, uh, I'm curious about like, how do you interface with politicians? Like, how is that like in New York, considering like, I don't know, the, the longstanding, longstanding democratic traditions um, in like New York City, for example, like, do you think uh, you interface successfully with the current administration or are there certain politicians you reach out to? Um, and how does that, how does your veganism play a role with your, your other parts of your politics? Well, I mean, New York has always been considered a blue state, a democratic state, uh, which kind of leans more left, more liberal, more progressive. So we do see that in the politics here, in, in some cases, not all. Uh, in, in regards to animal rights, from what I've seen, and we've been, and again, I'm on the board with VFAR, we've been doing a lot of interviews because a lot of seats are gonna open up this year in city mm -hmm. council. And we're trying to replace those seats with people who are willing to defend animals. And not only defend animals, but defend human beings as well, who are all, also on board for defunding the, the police. So it's looking pretty good right now, just based on the interviews that we had and based on the testimony of uh, people running for these seats in city council. They, they support what we're doing and hopefully we can get some things done. Uh, 2019 was a banner year for voters for animal rights. We got the sale of foie gras banned here in New York. Uh, if you know what, do you know what foie, foie gras is? No, I was about to ask. Not, I don't okay, that, that's the act of force feeding ducks and geese. Oh. About three or four times a day. Uh, a, a, a duck's liver is typically about the size of a baseball. What they do is they force feed these ducks and geese to the point that their, their liver is 10 times the size it normally would be. And it's just built up uh, fat. And they kill these animals for their liver and their liver becomes uh, a, like an expensive cuisine, like something you buy in, uh -huh. in a restaurant. It's really, it's really expensive and it's really popular. So we actually were successful in banning the sale of foie gras here in New York. There were, uh, there's also a horse and heat carriage bill that we were able to pass. Basically, if horse carriages are operating at above a certain temperature, and don't quote me, I don't remember exact, the exact temperature. It might've been 100, 101 degrees. They have to take the horses off the street because that's considered cruel. Mm -hmm. um, there was a there was a lot of bills on the table that got passed. We were really really successful at, but amongst them were those two: the horse heat carriage bill and the foie gras bill. In 2021, we're looking to replicate that success and ban the sale of fur uh, to regulate slaughterhouses, uh, or should I say, live markets? There's over 80 live markets here in New York, 
and we're trying to regulate those. We're trying to, it's, it's a lot on the table, too much for me to uh, talk about right now in, in this one short interview, but we're looking to get a lot of good things done and they all benefit animals. They all benefit people in under, underserved communities. Great, that sounds amazing. I'm sorry, was there another part of the question that, that I, I left out? Yeah, well, yeah, um, I kind of just tagged it in there, so no problem. Uh, I was just curious about, uh, so like, kind of like you implied, uh, vegans tend to be uh, left-leaning. I don't meet too many like right-leaning vegans. Um, <laughs> They're out and, there. So Chauncey, you can be, you can join their ranks. Um, <laughs> One day at a time, unfortunately, you know, uh, uh, you know, um, at least I cut down on the meat. I cut down on the meat. I can say that I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Maybe our goal today uh, is to is to turn him vegan before this episode is over. <laughs> you know how much I would like that so much. <laughs> well, even you could buy my groceries. Uh, but I, I do have a question. Though. Oh, wait, Chauncey, uh, let me uh, let me. Uh, so the question I had, yeah. I kind of tagged on was because of this, I was kind of curious about like, um, if you don't mind sharing this, like, how do you think, like, I guess generally what your politics are, you mentioned deep, like defunding the police, uh, which I also support. Um, I, I myself am, am pretty progressive and left-leaning. Um, and like, how do you think, do you think, I guess, a left-leaning philosophy enables people to be more open to veganism? Or do you think it could be a gateway to being left-leaning, something like that? I think it's I think it's left leaning by default. I think it's just because there's so many issues that encompass what veganism is nowadays. When you talk about uh, the environment and you talk about uh, greenhouse gas emissions and uh, it's, it's just so many things that are affected by what we do to animals and how detrimental it is to the planet that it just by default, it's left leaning. Like these are all issues that um, most left-leaning politics care about. So I think by default, I mean, but then again, like like I like like I said before, there are vegans that have right-wing politics that really uh, only care about certain issues, and those issues only pertain to animals. Like there there are vegans that believe that they don't have to talk about environmental issues because it has nothing to do with the animals. Unfortunately, they believe this. Hmm. So I, I guess it's all in what aligns with your beliefs. I don't think you have to adapt a left-leaning uh, ideology. I think it would help because most of these issues are on on the on that progressive side. But uh, it doesn't necessarily fall like veganism doesn't necessarily fall under like this blue banner or this uh, left-wing politics banner. It just by default, because so many other issues are attached to it. Mm. Yeah, I think part of me internally, at least, is kind of frustrated, especially with more establishment Democrat types, who they they kind of say, "Oh, we care about so and so issue," but then, you know, they are some of the highest consumers of of and producers of waste. Greenhouse gas is greenhouse gas emissions eating kind of like these very high, uh, like high priced, uh, fancy meals, which uh, usually involve meat, which are completely unnecessary, right? And, uh, but they're also the, the banner heads for the part for the Democratic Party. And so I would, 
I, I like what you were saying, like trying to get in, in council members, for example, that are more aligned with your positions. Um, I, think, I think that's a good fight. I hope you're successful in that. Well, well, Stu, uh, she should be run for office, I feel, Avery. I mean, <laughs> you, you are a great public speaker, Stu. Thank you. I don't think I am, but thank you. Well, trust me, uh, Avery, unfortunately, does not have Instagram. Uh, his social media uh, is very limited. His choice, you know, not going to argue with him. But, uh, you know, uh, I, for one, have seen a lot of your, you know, uh, especially on the Vigilante Vegan uh, page. Uh, and I have seen Stu's poetry, his speeches. Um, and with every post, you do see um, true passion. And Stu, I'm not here trying to butter you up, but I am trying to give Avery a little um, backup Info, uh, info, I guess, uh, to support the fact that yes, you are a good public speaker. You may not see it, sir, but you definitely are. Trust me. When you, when, when there's passion behind the words, uh, trust me. Everyone knows they hear you. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah, uh, uh, this this conversation might might be the final thing to get uh, to make me get a gram. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> see, I may become a vegan. Avery may become more. Um, Social media savvy. Uh, let's see what happens, folks. Um, but I do have one last question of, about the topic of veganism, and then we're going to go into um, uh, our next uh, issue. Um, so as a non-vegan, uh, I have been asked numerous times uh, from some of our listeners um, that basically the number one thing that people say about veganism or even vegetarianism or any diet that restricts one of the food groups, well, traditional food pyramid, as it were, uh, is it's not healthy. You, it's, you know, you could, you're not going to get the right proteins. So guys, you both being um, hardcore vegans, please tell me what you, what you think about that. <laughs> do, do you want to take that one first, Sue? Uh, sure. Uh, listen, by, by, by no accounts am I, uh, uh, a nutrition expert or a health expert. But when I look at um, our genetic makeup, it, it, it speaks more to a, a, a plant-based diet. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, like people, the, the funny thing, especially with men, because they, they're so macho and, and uh, you know, they always want to be like strong and, you know, men, men, men being men basically, like we could, we always compare ourselves to uh, gorillas and and horses and oxes, all these strong animals. And I, I ask this question all the time: like, what do these animals eat? They eat plants. The strongest land animals on the planet right now. You think about it: the ox, the gorilla, the elephant, uh, the the giraffe. Uh, the rhinoceros, they're all plant eating animals. So you're, you're comparing yourself to these animals that are super strong, but they're eating plants. <laughs> they're not eating other animals. They're not eating animal protein. So why do you think that you need this as a human being? Like you don't have the, the teeth, you don't have the, the body mechanics to hunt and kill and digest other animals, but you insist on eating animals for protein uh, is uh, something that doesn't make sense. I think this is something that we carried over from the, the caveman era uh, during a time when there was no land to cultivate 
fruits and vegetables. And we kind of adapted to what other animals were doing for survival. So we, we, we're not, we don't live in caves anymore. We're not, we're not walking around barefoot anymore. It's like all, everything about us evolves except for our diet. Uh, we we <laughs> stop, <laughs> we, we wear shoes now, we use cell phones, uh, we, we drive cars. So why do we still depend on a caveman diet of, of flesh, of eating animals? And, and I just don't get it. And I, people will try to argue it all day that they get more protein from, from the animals. Like, well, I mean, you eat cows and cows get their protein from plants and they, they don't seem to be protein deficient. So what's your excuse now, you know? <laughs> that's such a great nope. I've never I've never heard uh I've never heard that argument before I think that's a, that's a really good analogy <laughs> um all I was gonna say like to add on to that um oh Chauncey were you, did you want to cut in no 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 I was just laughing because Avery now you have to lead after Stu so good luck <laughs> yeah I don't know if I can beat that um so let's see uh so my background, I didn't mention this in, in the beginning. So I do a lot of uh, biology research. And uh, so, so I, I, I have more of like a health uh, science background. So I can kind of speak on that. Um, I mean, what, what you said, Stu, is completely right. Like humans don't need to, to get protein from meat. And actually, it's kind of interesting. Uh, there was a study done a few years ago. Like they just collected, they just... Uh, surveyed a bunch of people's diets, like thousands of people's diets and checked their uh, protein levels. And as it turns out, people who eat meat tend to actually be protein deficient. And the reason really? why, yeah. And the reason why is because when you eat, because what they think is, oh, I eat a burger, that's enough protein for me for the day, right? They're not monitoring their nutrients uh, in a, you know, as closely as maybe vegetarians or vegans might be, because we think, because people tell us this, that we're, we're not eating enough. So we tend to monitor our diet a bit more, you know, with a bit more scrutiny than, uh, an, an average person who eats meat does. And actually a lot of meat, uh, doesn't have what we call complete proteins. A complete protein for those who, who don't know is a protein, uh, is a food that has every, uh, basically building blocks of every a protein that you need for your body that your body can't make itself. Uh, for example, uh, I, I have no problem with protein. Uh, I eat more protein now than I think I did before. Um, uh, I, I eat, for example, I rely a lot on chickpeas because they're a complete protein, very healthy for you. And you could do tons of stuff with them. Uh, I like making falafels on occasion. Um, and, uh, uh, I, I eat a lot. I know uh, vegans sometimes get like the soy boy label, um, but I, I do enjoy my soy. I, I enjoy making stuff with tofu. Um, and it's, it's, it's very uh, calorically efficient, has a lot of protein in it. Um, and yeah, I mean, just like what you said, uh, this, some of the most muscular animals rely on just exclusively plant-based diets. And there's a reason it works. They've done it for a while and they're not extinct. <laughs> Right. Um, so, yeah, for, I think I think for anybody, you know, making that diet transition, I can see why it might be might be scary, uh, but it really isn't. And in fact, to be honest, I think I, I my life is a lot tastier now than it used to be. Um, 
you know, you get thinking about recipes, you eat more diverse food groups, and you, you, you try different veggies and fruits and stuff. I, I, I think my lifestyle is, is just fine. I agree. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, well, Dane, uh, on that note, folks, um, I am starving after that riveted conversation. Uh, maybe I should get some chickpeas, maybe some Beyond Burger, uh, that delicious, delicious Beyond Burger. And no, folks, that's not an ad, but Beyond Meat. Uh, we would love to have you as a sponsor. So, folks, we'll be right back after this break. And we're back. Uh, thank you, guys. We uh, on, During the break, Stu, Avery, and I had some riveting discussions and conversation, and we did get a few more recipes uh, for the vegan lifestyle. So uh, now we're going to go on to our next topic. Um, so, Stu, um, obviously, as an activist for both human and animal rights, uh, and is obviously a never-ending uh you know, battle, because there's always these battles, you get victories, and then you have to keep going and going and going. Obviously, something that is a major part of that, of doing a movement of trying to uh, create change is protesting. So something that is something that is one of the first topics that Avery and I covered in episode one, and we just wanted to get your take on it. Um, you know, like, uh, do you think, for example, destruction of property in name of protest is okay? Um, do you like what do you think is a just way for a protest in your uh, opinion? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, we live in a country that denies certain people uh, access to certain liberties. So I, I, I vehemently believe in protesting. Uh, it's the it's the voice of people who feel like they're not being heard It's the voice of the marginalized when you take to the streets and and let people know that you demand what's right. I mean, we're like, most protests are just about the bare minimum. We're not, we're not asking for a takeover of any sort. We're just asking for the bare minimum. Like when you, when you hear a term like Black Lives Matter, like that's only stating the bare minimum of how important and precious Black life is in this country. And protesting to me, is definitely necessary. But I mean, protests without action beyond that is just, it, it, it doesn't do anything. So we have to follow it up with uh, political action. But protesting to me, very necessary. It, it, it sends a message. And as far as like, property damage, and I, I know you're going with this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about the protests over the summer um, in regards to the, the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and so many other black men and women that have been killed by the police in this country. Um, I mean, to me, what, what's more important? Uh, the fact that we pay taxes for law enforcement to protect and serve the communities that they are supposed to protect and serve or things that could be replaced. This is in no way condoning property damage, rioting. <clears throat> I'm not, I personally wouldn't get involved in anything like that, but I'm not against it. 
I understand why it happens. And to me, the, the loss of life tremendously outweighs any, anything that you could replace, especially when, when uh, these companies have insurance for uh, issues like this that, that come up. So I'm not concerned with things. Again, this is not me endorsing or condoning looting, rioting, property damage or anything like that. Uh, I believe in peaceful protesting, but I understand why people are frustrated and this is how they, they act out when they feel like they're not being heard. Um, Tupac said it best one time. Um, he, he equated it to being outside of the, the door of a hotel room. And he said, like, you could sing, you could try to sing your way into that door. We are hungry, please let us in. We are hungry, please let us in. He said, after a week, that song is gonna get a little bit more, little bit more aggressive. We're hungry, please let us in. After a month, it's fuck that I'm knocking down the door, like you have food in there, we're hungry, and we demand a piece of the pie. And this is the plight of Black America in this country for the last 150 years. It's we, we're to the point where we're knocking on the door. We're trying to knock the door down and let you know that we demand equal rights. We demand uh, that this double standard of justice not exist anymore. And it's so, and a lot of times people act out in frustration and destroy property. Is it right? Is it wrong? I mean, that's not, that's really not for me to say. I mean, I, at the end of the day, like I said, I don't, I don't really care about things like that because to me, the fact that somebody that looks like me, a working class black man could get murdered in the streets by a person with a badge and a gun. My family is going to have to deal with that loss. That police officer nine times out of 10 is going to go back to work. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what, what's fair, you know? And, and I hate that the only thing people could bring up is, oh, riots and looting, riots. And, you know, and a lot of times this is coming from people who were not on the streets. They didn't have boots on the ground. Every protest mm -hmm. that I've attended this summer was peaceful. A lot of the agitation came from police officers. I've seen it with my very own eyes. They, they instigated a lot of trouble with protesters this summer. It wasn't, the, it wasn't us, it was them. And I'm telling you from a person that was on the ground that was there, it wasn't us, it was them. Yeah, I've heard uh, story. Like, I appreciate you saying all of that. I've heard several, like, uh, like a, an amalgamation of stories where the the general trend is where there are things like rioting or, or non peaceful protests. It's almost always instigated by the like riot police or police police officers in that area. And for some reason, I mean, I think I know the reason has something to do with media bias, but for some reason. Uh, or another, people don't get that message. I think it's, at least from my perspective, it's part of this idea that, you know, the largest realm of resistance of the US to uh, closing racial inequities is largely, suburb, you know, middle-class white families or, or suburban families who, you know, they're, they, they live very sheltered lives. They don't, you know, have to interact with a diverse population of people. They don't care about these issues because they're not affected by them. Right. And so when they turn on the news, a lot of them, unfortunately, watching Fox News, which is just great, um, uh, they just see, like you said, this this 
violence and destruction, although I would argue till I die, you can't commit violence to a building. Um, but, and like you said, at least from my perspective, uh, property damage, uh, all of that can be fixed. A lot of these people uh, have insurance on these uh, buildings, and, but lives can't. You can't replace a person's life. And like you said, uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot of whitewashing of, of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, we don't like to talk about certain parts of them. Uh, but one of the things that came to light recently, and I hope people remember is, uh, I'll just quote him real quick here, a riot is the language of the unheard. Um, and maybe that's not full con uh, con you know, endorsement of rioting per se. Um, and I think personally, I wouldn't do it, but it's like you said, if you've gone through the normal channels, the quote proper way of in eliciting change, and that hasn't worked, and it hasn't just not worked in 10 years, it hasn't worked since they started it, like since this, since the inception of, um, of protest movements working towards uh, equal rights, not just for, for African-Americans, but, but all, uh, uh, you know, ethnicities in the United States between uh, men and women, et cetera. Um, and we haven't closed those gaps. And um, if that's the case, how, what do you, what do you, you know, what do people expect uh, people to do? Like if the normal channels don't work, is it, you know, how is this uh, anger uh, from these, from protesters, how is that unexpected? I guess is the part that I I struggle to understand. Um, and I, I guess it's largely, I don't know if I have an overarching point here, but I guess it's largely that a lot of people don't care about these issues because they're not exposed to it because they live in gated communities yeah. or the people who have- Yeah, I was gonna say you answered your own question from the beginning. Uh, when you're dealing with people that don't have to deal with these issues, it they don't understand it. So they, they only view it as just anger and, and ignorance because they're, they're not, they're not, they're not the ones being exploited. Yeah. So when you, when you have access to, to certain things and, and a certain lifestyle and like a lot of times you don't understand, like, even though we speak the same language, we, we're not, we don't always uh, communicate the same way. So what I mean is um, we live in the same country, we speak the same language, but there's different, uh, how can I say this? Like, like what you said before, when you have middle-class families and in their neighborhood, the police officer's nice, he knows them by their first name, you know, they feel safe. And, and in a neighborhood that is underserved, the police are looked at as an intimidating presence. Like they're only there to protect property and business interests, not so much the people from that neighborhood or that community. So it's a different language. Mm. So in, in, from this middle-class family, from their perspective, the police are there to protect us. They make us feel safe. It must be something wrong that these other people are doing that, that get them murdered. Like why, why do the police shoot these people? Maybe they deserved it. They're bad people. So that's the perception. And I mean, I understand why they feel that way. Because again, if you've lived a sheltered life and you don't know what's going on out of your gated community or your neighborhood or your city, it all looks bad. But in all reality, it's, it's really not what you think it is. It's just uh, 
I guess, you know, people, police react to situations based on your, your class or what you have access to. Yeah. Is, is what I'm saying. Like you pretty much just answered your own question. Well, and I just, you know, have to say, uh, you know, president Biden did sign an executive action, um, towards more equality, um, you know, leading up to that. And I do believe under his presidency, we will see more, um, action towards uh, creating true equality, not the idealism of equality, not the um, appearance, but actual true equality between all ethnicities, um, you know, in this great country. And, you know, you really can't sometimes even call the United States a great country just because I'm not going to lie, you know, we do have as much good as we have done for the world, some parts of the world, not the Middle East but some parts of the world, like the liberation of Europe and et cetera. We have, you know, like I said, as good, as much good as we've done, we've had a lot of bad, especially in, at home, especially with the, um, with slavery, the, uh, what, hundreds of years of slavery, um, which no one really even talks about much anymore. I don't know what the uh, education system is like in the United States uh, for an elementary school student, but that should be something that's really thoroughly taught, not just skimmed over. But, uh, you know, hopefully there is more unity in this country. Um, hopefully there is more understanding and hopefully there is more, less division, less division and simply more of that understanding from non-vegan to vegan, from black to white, from gay to straight, no matter what it is, what your beliefs are, your creed is, whatever it is, there needs to be more of an understanding. I think, you know, guys, you know, we will get there, but unfortunately I don't see it anytime soon. I think it's like any struggle, it's a process and, you know, we just got to take it one day at a time, but, you know, as much as I, because um, Stu, you and I've discussed this, Avery, you and I discussed this before, you know, in regards to protesting, I do, I love peaceful protesting. Um, and honestly, while listening to you both speak, you know, I'm not going to lie. And this is, guys, um, to the listeners at home, this is what this platform is about and my ideals uh, of protesting have changed from this conversation, especially from hearing both of you. Because um, I used to be this guy, and Avery, you, you can attest to this because we spoke one time, like three hours on this subject, not in podcast, but just in discussion about rioting and such. And Stu, you, you, you sir, are right. You know, I am a white man, you know. Um, did I have the best time growing up? No, Avery and I didn't. Um, but to put myself in your shoes or any other person's shoes, you know, um, there was things that we were all exposed to differently. And, you know, the frustration, because originally my position was on protest was, has to be peaceful, blah, 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 no way around it. But yes, with the rioting, do I condone it? No. But do I understand it? Yes. Because as you guys said, when you're trying to do the right thing over and over and over and over again, no one's hearing you or, you know, 
the frustration, you know, the frustration builds and you have to act. It goes from just saying the words to acting out the words, if that makes sense. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, so you have changed a stubborn ass's opinion. <laughs> so bravo, gentlemen. Mission accomplished. Uh, <laughs> now we just got to get the go vegan. <laughs> One and two. Come on, Chauncey. Bring it well, home. Chauncey, you know what this, this all, it, it comes down to one thing with me. It, it comes down to the dismantling of, of white supremacy. All these things you mentioned, uh, uh, equality for gays and, and uh, veganism and, and everything else. Like the only reason these movements exist is because of white supremacy, uh, in particular white male, straight affluent supremacy. Uh, there's no, there should be no reason that there was ever a women's rights issue in this country. There's no reason why uh, black people have to fight so long for civil rights or why we have to fight for animal rights. It, it all begins with white male dominance. And once we can systemically change that, you, you will see other things start to pretty much heal themselves. Um, but th that that's the root of it all. It's, it's straight white men telling everybody else what's, what's best for them. And when you talk about equality and, and, and things changing, it has, to, it has to change there. You ask me, what, what are kids learning in school in regards to slavery and things like that? They're not, they're not learning everything that they should know about slavery. And I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of accountability from this country in regards to slavery, uh, America does not want to be held accountable for what it did to its mm -hmm. African slaves. Uh, the fact that we have to, that we were told or granted reparations, we didn't receive it. And this is 2021 and this is still uh, an issue, a topic, reparations. Why are we still talking about this? It's because America does not want to be held accountable for what it did because it knows that it has blood on its hands. It knows that this country was built by African slaves and it, it just doesn't want to own up to it. So why would you teach your children anything about this? It's a, a, a large amount of white guilt involved in that. Like you, I doubt it. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I doubt that you're going to go to a school in middle America where the, the students are predominantly white and they're going to learn the true history of slavery. I mean, I grew up in the eighties. The only thing I learned about black history was you were a slave, you were bought and sold and Martin Luther King fought for civil rights. We didn't learn anything outside of that. They and and they whitewash it by telling you what a great man and what a peaceful man mm -hmm. Martin Luther King was. He turned the other cheek. He loved his enemy. Why are we teaching kids this? That you're teaching them subliminally to be submissive and subordinate by telling them to love your enemy and turn the other cheek. And this is why they hold Martin Luther King to, to such high regard. And this is the, the whitewashing of his message. So when you, when, you when you tell young black and brown kids that you came here as a slave and you weren't granted equal white rights and Martin Luther King came along and, and he peacefully fought for your rights, you, you're subliminally telling them that if you want something, all you got to do is ask nicely. I mean, you may not get it, but at least you were nice about it. So they don't teach you about Malcolm X, the ballot or the bullet. That's, this is what kids should be learning in school, the ballot or the bullet. Ma Malcolm X taught that you cannot fight an aggressive person with 
with peace and love. Somebody that is taking something from you, somebody that is not granting you equal rights in this country, it, we're beyond the point of, of passively and peacefully asking for equality. You have to fight for it. People, are, I mean, people are going to die. And that's just the nature of revolution. That's the nature of, of things changing. Change is, is good, but it's not always um, a smooth transition of power. And unfortunately, I think the same thing is going to happen in this country as well. I mean, like black people are tired. They're white people that are tired of white people shit. And they, they want equality. They want what's right. And they won't stand for it anymore. But it, it's not going to come without... Uh, you know, people willing to die for it. Because yeah. as long as we have, as long as we have white male supremacy in the White House and in all forms of government, nothing's ever going to change. And this is what we should be fighting for. We, I want to see more, I want to see AOC run for president. Like I, I, I say that to piss people off purposely. I want a, a brown woman from the Bronx to, <laughs> to be the president of the United States that will piss people off so much. And I think that we'll see some real change. Uh, well, they'll do, they'll do to her what they did to Obama. They'll make it very difficult for her to do uh, anything, but we, we need, we need, we need change and we need more women. We need more people of color. We need a, a diverse group of people running the country, not just one particular group of people for the last uh, 200 years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess the thing I wanted to add in kind of also response to something Chauncey said, and Chauncey and I have, we have a disagreement about this and I have a disagreement with actually a lot of my friends about this as well. So there's this recent call for unity, right? And I guess it, it's kind of under, it, it's hard to really understand what unity means in the context of the history of the United States because the United States doesn't have a history of internal unity. Like we've never done that, that's not our thing. What, what unity I think means is, at least especially from uh, like powerful, like the, the perspective of powerful people in the US, it means largely upper class white people not being, uh, you know, uh, disadvantaged in any way. Progress, you know, as a progressive, it's, it's hard because we often don't get the things that we want uh, to change. But change is, inher is inherently divisive. That's why we need it, because not enough people want to give the rights that people are owed as a virtue of, of just being, you know, living human beings and citizens of the United States. They don't want to give people those ac equal access to, uh, to the rights that they themselves have. Um, and this just, this goes beyond racial issues. It goes to worker exploitation, et cetera. Um, and it's not, I think the Wall Street thing that happened recently is a great example of this, right? Like we only react uh, to, you know, volatility, quote unquote, when uh, everyday people start to uh, negatively affect rich people. That, you know, uh, I, Chauncey's gonna disagree with me here, I bet. But I think honestly, to get change, you have to make the people who are powerful, make them bleed a little bit. Then they start to care. Um, and it doesn't actually have to be real bleeding. I hope it's not. Um, but metaphorically speaking, I think it's effective. 
Um, I've been really interested in the last like year, especially with the, you know, quarantine, get more time for podcasts and reading, plus the protests happening at the same time. Historically speaking, what's more effective as a form of protest, peaceful protest, or uh, as defined as like not doing property damage, even though I'd argue again, that's not what peaceful really means, um, versus, uh, you know, more like truly nonviolent protest versus property damage, you know, more um, vigorous protesting, rioting, et cetera. And it turns out like, honestly, peaceful protests don't really accomplish that much uh, in terms of like, like people ought to do them. But when you look at when was legislation passed, um, it's after like extremely, what was publicly perceived as violent events. Um, even though they weren't really violent because people weren't hurt unless it was office like police officers hurting protesters, of course. But then at that time and continuously, apparently, we're not supposed to care about that, I guess. Um, like, I, I didn't understand that, uh, for example, rubber bullets. I, I, was taught, I was kind of taught, given the inclination that they're actually a safe measure, but they're you know, they're like these huge uh, projectiles. They can blind you that, you know, you're not supposed to shoot uh, protesters with them directly or they're supposed to bounce off the ground and stuff. Um, there's just all of these abuses by police. And, and the, I think the thing that, you know, I'm left with most is that the police force, right? Police brutality is, is the most direct uh, view, I guess, the public has towards how white supremacy is embedded in our society. And that's the surface level stuff. It's harder for people to kind of wrap their mind around all of the systemic forces. And I think that's why a large portion of people don't believe them that affect um, uh, black and brown people in this country that don't affect white people, uh, the negative aspects. Um, and I think we have to do a better, better job, for example, with education. This, it's not a simple transition of we did slavery, we didn't do, we should be lauded for, congratulated for ending slavery, and then something, 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 civil rights, and then, oh, we, we did it. First black president, no more, no more racism, America did it. Um, when, when, when Donald Trump was calling for America to be great again, I think, unfortunately, that resonated with people because they wanted to, to go back to like the 1950s. They wanted to go back before the civil rights uh, movement really started catching speed and being successful. Um, and that's a time of just subjugation of so many people, of course, not white people, not especially white rich people. Um, and I think we need to do a, a really, you know, a, a good job at educating people, not just new people in school, but also reaching out kind of like what Chauncey said, to people who, um, reaching out to people who are, you know, potentially conspiracy theorists or people on the far right. And I, it, it, you know, I don't know what our probability of success will be, but trying to convince them that, you know, people who are not white are in fact human and uh, deserve equal rights. Um, and that you have all of these systemic forces in play that, that negatively affect them. Um. <clears throat> Well said. Um, so, guys, uh, we are nearing the end of the show, and I do want to end um, with my 
um, little tidbit. And then obviously we'll say goodbye to Stu and Stu. I just want to say it's been a pleasure uh, having you on this show. Uh, but before we get to all of that, um, I just, uh, Avery, you did bring up about what I said about unity. My idea of unity is not all of us sitting around the campfire, kumbaya, because that's never going to happen. Uh, humans, humans, simple as that. Um, and we're not, that's never just going to happen just because of human nature. Uh, but what I do want believe in unity is given that openness, that open-mindedness of, mm-hmm. hey, for me in either ethnicity, uh, uh, religion, or just ideologies or whatever, but hey, I'm listening to hear what you have to say, mm-hmm. but in turn, you have to be able to hear what I have to say and find that middle ground. I mean, yes, you may not have to agree with the other person, but at least you're able to have the understanding and maturity and decentness of saying, hey, I don't agree with you, but hey, I accept you, what you are, who you are, and that's it. You don't have to love the person. You don't have to hate the person. You just have to just understand. And, you know, and then, you know, with either side of issues from, you know, some police, police brutality, you know, uh, to um, some violent uh, protesters, you know, not even protesters, me, in my opinion, people who just took place in the violence, saw the protests and decided to take advantage of the anger uh, and to just to riot and loot. And, you know, and it, you could just see that not every cop's a bad cop, you know, a lot of yeah. cops have a lot well a lot of cops need to be there needs to be police reform i do agree with that but i'm not saying every cop's a bad cop even though in my day at least i've been pulled over by a lot of asshole cops but obviously that experience is not gonna uh, you know resonate you know because i'm white if i was a black man it could be a different situation you never know i don't think it's a matter uh, of being black and white i think it's just when you take when you agree to put on that badge and that gun and that and that's your your civil duty like you whether you agree or disagree with policing like it's your it's your job to uphold you know what uh that whatever standard they they set for you and whether you're you could go in there with the best intentions I, i think a lot of people go in there with good intentions and they just get corrupted by a system because um, police culture is is violence. Police culture is lying. It's uh, covering up for your your brother in blue. It's and you don't break that code. I mean, I, have you ever seen the movie Serpico? I mean, that was based on a true story, and these are things that actually happen. Like guys have the best intentions, but because they don't want to be outed by their uh, coworkers or their superiors, they go along with the program. So, I mean, to me, e- even if you are not doing things that are negative or or impacting people in a negative way. You're, you're complicit and you and you uphold that uh, idea of what policing is to to them. Not so much in your mind. I mean, look look at the, the uh, did you see the video of the guy that um that got arrested for the the murder of George Floyd and, and they they filmed him buying cookies in Walmart or wherever he was. Yeah, I like, did not see happened. that. Which, which, might I add, we were under a mask law, and he wasn't even wearing a mask, so he's a dick for that as well. Okay, uh, there's a lot of a lot. It was a lot of things wrong with that, but yeah, he he got bailed. It was a it was a, a police officer that was there when when George Floyd got murdered. 
Well, he was one of the murderers, yes. He was, yeah, he, he stood by. He said he became a cop because he wanted to be the change in the world. He wanted to do the right thing and he was gonna, he wanted to be a good cop and all, the, all these great things that he had in mind of what it, what it was to be a police officer. And he was gonna change the system. The one moment you had to change the system, the one moment that you had the opportunity to be the good cop and you didn't do it, you, you stood there and watched your partner kill a man. You didn't, you didn't uh, protest it. You didn't stop him. You didn't push him off the guy. You watched him. So again, you can go in there with the best intentions, but if your actions don't match up to what you say you're going to do, that makes you complicit. He was complicit in the murder of George Floyd. He, I'm sorry. No, no, I was saying most definitely. Yeah, he he didn't say anything to Officer Chauvin. He didn't stop him from doing what he was doing, even though George Floyd begged for his life and told the man he couldn't breathe. And you stood, you stood there and watched. Like to me, that's not what a good cop does. So by default, to me, when you put on that badge and you carry a gun, you are on the to me, the wrong side of history and the wrong side of justice. I I I am not an I, I'm not a fan of police officers. Um, I don't believe in this theory that there are good cops. I mean, there are people with good intentions, but you uh, that's like telling me there's a good Nazi. Like there's people that join, uh, that, that are Nazis, that, but they just had good intentions. Like, no, you, <laughs> you involved yourself with a, a murderous group of people. Like, it's, to me, it's the same thing. <laughs> Well, I think that's, well, on my perspective, I think that's a little rat, rat uh, you know. I mean, you know, Nazis. Are, you There's know, a correlation between, between. I, I don't really, I think that's, I think that's a bad comparison. But what I will say is this. Yes, I do agree with you, Stuart, that, you know, one, um, you know, because in some religions, yeah, for example, in Christian. Parents wouldn't think that's a bad comparison. Uh, uh, Eric Gardner's family wouldn't think that's a bad comparison. Um, and the list goes on, man. It's, it's just, I'm telling you based yeah. on the things that I see and how I'm impacted by these things. And, and that's what you said. The thing about life is that we, we don't always see eye to eye on certain things. And you know what? We don't have to agree on that. But I know from my perspective as a, as a black man living in America, nothing good comes out of being a police officer. Now, and I have friends that are police officers. <laughs> I have friends that I grew up with that are police officers. But um, I, you decided to put that badge on you. I don't look at you as a as a friend anymore. Well, I, I do have to say though that needs to be um, not has not not now not later, but there has to be um, very soon some sort of police reform. Um, I mean, because look at the United Kingdom for example, they they have complete police teams they, they don't even carry a gun they don't carry weapons you know and yet they're able to police fine now obviously that's a different demographic because you know they're mainly caucasian and such but still why can't we actually take a hard look here it's like with every issue in the united states and avery Stu, you guys see this as well like when something happens right everyone there's a lot of media coverage everyone talks about it like it could be from a school shooting to um, a murder of an innocent person. And we'll talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Politicians will talk about it, talk about it, and talk about it. But yet, nothing gets done. They talk about it, and that's when everyone is tired of the bullshit. So, and 
So I think you are you are perfectly saying the reason why people like the why the, the reason why the protests were the way they were well, over the yes, summer, because right? It stop. No, I, I, Avery, I like I said before, I agree with you guys. Okay, I don't agree with you know destroying people's homes or you know like corporations. Yeah, they have the money to back up this stuff, but and I'm not condoning any of that. But when it comes to like for example, there was a young lady who filmed uh, I forget uh, what part, but I think it was like Flatbush area, a part of Brooklyn, and. And I don't know if you saw this video, Stu. Maybe it was Manhattan. I don't remember. But anyways, they, they destroyed bits of property that, for example, a cell phone station that a homeless man used to use um, to charge his phone, you know, and uh, various other things that hurt members of that community. Like there was no major businesses there, but they were just it was a neighborhood which got trashed by rioters. And, you yeah. know, and that's the kind of stuff that I hate. Yeah, and, and that's the kind of stuff I hate to see, you know, um, because those individuals had no, you know, they weren't involved in this. They weren't the cops that shot or, you know, or murdered um, the uh, Breonna Taylor or um, George Floyd, you know, they weren't. They were just people that, cross, that were in the crosshairs, you know, uh, well, crossfire, uh, uh, I mean, and that is something that, you know, that's the only reason why I don't like um, violence when it comes to trying to get your point across. Not but, violence. Um, but we will say that. I'll push you know, back I do, on that still. Not violence. Well, you know what I mean? Like the like going for peaceful protest to people taking advantage because you know how people, some people are. They'll take advantage of something peaceful and turn it into an ugly, ugly thing. Can I comment on that advantage. real quick? I, 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 yes, just, I feel like I just want to, okay, so I, you're not saying this exactly, you can clarify, but it almost sounds like what you're trying to say is like, it kind of sounds like you're trying to delegitimize the people who do, do end up doing rioting by saying that they're taking advantage of a moment. No, 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 no. What I was saying is there are people, people. Like, for example... But why talk about them riot, if they're in the there minority? Was riot, there, there was a riot in a city. I forget what the city, but everyone saw the video. The Target was ransacked. You had black, white, Asian. Everybody was there. Riot, just looting the store. You yeah. know? And my thing is, is that people take advantage of situations. Like, for example, if we were in that area and we heard, oh, hey we're all running over to Target because someone broke in to get free shit. Or, hey, there's a protest over there. The cops are making it violent, so now they have the cops are all over there, so we can loot this store because the cops can't get to us because they're busy with the protest. Well, don't you... Don't you so that's what I mean by that. I'm not saying the protesters are the ones right, that are looting and rioting. I'm saying that there are individuals that will take advantage of a situation when because it's like this. You, uh, you could be distracting me, Avery, and someone could, while you're distracting me, someone could go into my back pocket and take my wallet while you're distracting me. That's what I mean. You get what I'm saying? I, and that, I understand what you're saying. I guess I'm just saying you don't think an unprecedented economic crisis and a pandemic maybe played a little role in that with no government response? I don't know. It's all like, I'm saying is, 
Avery, all I'm saying is you can't blame the pandemic or what happened with the rioting because we have, have had riots before. Look at Los Angeles back in the day. Look at Atlanta. Look at Chicago, even New York. And, so, and I will go on the, the record. Just to be, I think I will go on the record and say I am. I do not care, morally speaking, that they rioted. That is that is my position. I'm saying I'm I'm firm on that. And I respect that. So, Stu, you still with us, buddy? <laughs> All right, um, Stu. So we've had a lot of discussions um, on this episode um do you have any final thoughts or um anything you want to tell our listeners um before we uh we say goodbye uh, i guess just to be considerate and mindful like a lot i think a lot of people like to think they have empathy and compassion but don't really exhibit uh any any of the traits of someone that that has uh, empathy or compassion. Um, uh, but just to echo what you said, I think we need to listen to each other a bit more, even if we don't agree. I mean, some things we can't, we can't disagree on and be friends with. Like, I, I'm not going to be a friend and agree to disagree if, if you're upholding uh, white supremacy or something like that, or just uh, trying to justify shitty behavior from people. But there is a middle ground in everything, I believe, as long as people are willing to listen and have an understanding of uh, our different experiences here. I mean, we, we, we might live in the same city, you and me, but we have vastly different experiences. And I think because of that, like we should listen and hear each other, but um, just be mindful of how we treat animals, be mindful of how we treat each other and, and know that Everything is not always agenda-based. Some people are just frustrated and we, we express our frustration in, in different ways. Sometimes we act out in, in violence or sometimes we destroy property. And again, it's not something that I'm condoning. It's just, I understand why it happens. Um, but we just have to come to a better understanding of, of each other and things and find that middle ground and, and stop marginalizing different people just based on how they're born and animals for that matter. Like stop giving animals jobs. Animals don't, animals don't want jobs. <laughs> they, they, want, they want to roam free. <laughs> Trust me, how I would love to be, I don't know, an animal, no bills that I have to pay. No, nothing, just live, an live, live free. by humans. They, Did I get they find a way to exploit you. <laughs> 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 no, yeah. you're right. You're right. <laughs> well, I would love to be an animal in maybe Yellowstone or somewhere far, far, far away. Hell, put me in, uh, in, in, in species in, that nobody's ever found yet. <laughs> exactly, deep, deep in the in the oceans for sure, or somewhere. But um, you know, uh, folks, um, we do want to say thank you to Stu for taking the time because he does have a busy schedule and we'll be putting his information um on uh the episode description uh but if you guys do want to follow him uh, on instagram it's going to be vigilante underscore vegan and you know you could also reach out uh, to our email political.brothers2 at gmail.com for any questions comments concerns you know we want to be right we want you know we want to hear your opinion what you want to hear on our next uh, episode 
And next week, Avery, we'll be talking about one, what happens tomorrow besides uh, an onpour of snow. Um, the stock market, we'll see if, for example, if AMC is going to take me to the moon and I may be having to quit my job because I made a ton of money. Um, or, you know, because, we'll, you know, we'll see how the hedge funds react um, or I'll just be broken out of money and I'll be asking you both for, to give me a loaner till next payday. Um, but, um, don't ask me but, for money. I don't have much. Well, Avery, it's okay. <laughs> um, but um, seriously, guys, uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Stu. Um, we would love to have you again on, on our show. Um, and, you know, and guys, those listening, if you feel the same way that Stu does about, and as Avery and I do about banning fur in New York City, please, please, please contact your local congressman or woman. Uh, write it out. Speak it out. And let's make Band, yeah, and visit Voters for Animal Rights, uh, the website Voters for Animal Rights, and get involved. There's a lot of good things happening in the world of uh, animal politics, man. So I, I encourage everybody to get involved in that. All right, Avery. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say uh, it's been a really real pleasure talking with you. I, I enjoyed this discussion a lot. I'd love Thank to have you. you on again, just like uh, Chauncey uh, said. Um, and I really appreciate all the things that, uh, that you do in the state of New York. And I, I really hope uh, that if not from this podcast, just in general, that people across the nation in, the, in wh whatever respective city you live in, you try to do things like that. You try to, to be more engaged in your community in whatever way you can. And especially from an animal rights perspective, act, add, like you said earlier in the podcast to advocate for, for animal rights and equality in all ways. Yeah, it's again, it's been a pleasure. Uh, see you guys next time. Now don't you fall asleep on me.